Well, today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be reading uh, chapter 11, verses 27, uh, through chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, We'll be reading from the ESV. Uh, We encourage you to follow along uh, in a Bible, Pew Bible, uh, if you brought your own Bible or Bible app, uh, that would be great. But it will also be projected behind me. So again, I'll be reading Mark 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 12. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower, and leasing it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, uh, today's message is called Higher Power. And... In many ways, uh, we're going to be talking about truth today, Uh, but we're going to be talking about how elusive that is for many of us. And, um, you know, in this day and age, uh, you hear a lot about like fake news and, (laughs) you know, things like that, people arguing about what really is true. And it's kind of funny because I would have thought that in this day and age, with our access to technology and with the internet, Oh my goodness, like the internet, it's so amazing. You know, we can have volumes and volumes of knowledge that would fill infinite libraries, and you can have it like on a little flash drive now, right? You would think that with all of this technology and information, right, they they usually call, or they often call the uh, internet the information superhighway, right? That information just zips back and forth so quickly and easily, wouldn't we have less arguments? Wouldn't we have more truth? Right? 
I, I would have thought that that would be the case. But we're finding that it's not. I remember back in the day uh, before the internet, before it was readily available, I guess the internet's been around in some form for some time, but we didn't have the access to it, have little devices in all of our pockets that can instantly get it quickly. I remember, um, you know, there, were a, there was a time when you'd have like an argument with someone, like, hey, what, what, what year did that movie come out? And for some reason, it's really important to figure out what year this movie came out. They're like, oh, I think it was 1989. And they're like, no, 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 it was 1987, because I remember I was in junior high at the time, and this, this, this was what was happening in my life, and I took this girl to see this movie, and therefore it was in 1987. They're like, no, 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 you're wrong. It's 1989. And you had this argument about it. I don't know if any of you ever had like a friend, you're like, yo, I'm going to call Charles, because Charles knows. Like, he just knows everything about pop culture, right? And there was actually a TV show... <laughs> That kind of like fed on this concept. It was called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Does anyone remember this show? Right? It's been a while and they can't ever use, uh, do this show or I don't think it's ever going to be popular again because it's not relevant anymore. Basically what it was about is like you had to have like all this knowledge and you had to answer like all this trivia and all these different questions and you had to answer so many to get to the million dollar level. Right? And along the way, all you had was your wits and uh, like your memory that you brought in, but you had like three kind of cheats that you could use uh, at, at any given time. Like there's this thing where it'd be like 50-50, they would eliminate half the choices. They had this thing where you could ask the audience and everyone would give the answer, right? And then you had phone a friends, right? And I remember back then, I was like, well, why don't you just look it up, right? And, and I guess back then the internet was so slow that they only had a certain amount of time. And I think that the, uh, the producers of the show were like, you know what? Like, we're only going to give them 30 seconds. And the internet was so slow back then <laughs> that by the time it, like, you, you know, you ask the question, like, oh, what, what was that question again? And they're, like, trying to type it in. Like, like, you just wouldn't have enough time to look up the answer. That's no longer the case. We have the answer, like, right away all the time. Maybe some of you guys used to have that friend that you would call, but now you call Google. Now you call Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. What year did Back to the Future come out? I found five for you to choose from. Back to the Future. Back to the Future Part 2. I should have picked a movie without a sequel. <laughs> okay, to be fair, that the fifth option is Back to the Future 1985. Okay, so it must be 1985. All right. Man, that was quick. That was fast. Right? And so I remember like, like when, when um, you know, smartphones were coming out and things like that, there was actually a commercial where this exact thing happened, where they were trying to show that you could search the internet and talk on the phone at the same time. And they were arguing about uh, what year Rapper's Delight from the Sugar Hill King came out. And they're, they're having this argument about it. And the guy just looks it up on his phone, which at the time was unheard of that you could do that while you were talking. And he was like, uh, never mind. And just like hangs up, right? Because he knows he was wrong, right? And that's the end of the argument. Shouldn't that be what happens today? And yet it's not. Yet it's not. We argue and we fight over things. And then we fight over what really is truth. And in this day and age, friends, I think a lot of us, um, we, we, we get, get into these arguments with people. And maybe there is this vague sense like, oh, you know what? It's because we are trying to find the truth. No, it's not. That's not why we get in arguments, right? 
in many, many cases, people aren't really interested in finding the truth in an argument, right? What, what do we really want in an argument? We want to be right. It feels good to be right. You know, and, and most of the time, you probably experienced this. Uh, this is actual footage of me in an argument. Um, so I'm the bird on the left. Uh, <laughs> this is what we look like in arguments. We're both squawking at the same time. If you listen to this on a podcast, <laughs> anyone <laughs> later in the week, I just showed a picture of two squawking birds. And both their, their bills are wide open. And it's kind of a violent kind of exchange that's going on here, right? They're not like physically fighting, but both the birds just look like they're saying, you're wrong. They're just yelling at each other. And both of them are talking at the same time. You ever get in an argument with someone and you know they're not listening? I, I, like, I don't know if you've ever gotten in an internet argument with somebody, you know, like, like, like there's over chat. Like you're having an argument and you know they're not listening. You know why? Because as soon as you, 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 you type something and it comes up, it's like literally one second after your thing comes up and then you see those three dots. What do the three dots mean? They're already typing. They even read what you wrote. They just maybe skimmed it. They're like, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. I know how I'm going to convince you. Friends, a lot of us are like this. I'm no different. I am the squawking bird so many times that when somebody tells me something, I'm not even really listening. I'm just looking for a way to shoot back my response so that I can win. This is how we are taught to so-called debates. Right? This is the way our, even our justice system works. Right? Our justice system, which is about just things, truth, and justice, right? And really, that's not what ends up happening. You have two people who are committed to winning, right? They just want to win the argument, whether or not it's really the truth, right? Like, like I, I know it's kind of like a little bit of a stereotype, but you, you, know, you ever see like those shows, those crime shows, and it's like the attorney, like, like they know that the person is guilty and like the person like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have killed that person with a hammer. They're like, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Because we have to win, right? And that's kind of what we've learned today. It's not really about finding truth. It is about winning. And so how do we find truth in this day and age? And I think that is an important question that many of us ask. You know, um, I think it's really hard for us to find truth. But I think still a lot of us would agree that is still a worthy pursuit. I still want to know what truth is. But I want to highlight just from the outset some of the problems that we have with trying to find that truth. And you're going to see some of these issues pop up in this passage because this is a passage about, well, at least on the outset, it, it, it looks like it is about finding truth. About people looking at Jesus and saying, why should we believe you? Is that a good question? I think it's a pretty good question. Why should we believe you? Right? And maybe that's a question that a lot of people have. Maybe it's a question that maybe you don't have, but your friends have. Or when you're being really honest, you're like, okay, I, I know it doesn't sound that spiritual, but I actually have that question too. How do I really know that Jesus is the Son of God? How do I really know that the Bible is reliable? How do I really know that I should believe any of this? It's not just wishful thinking or a fairy tale or some kind of co- collective fable and legend that's come together over the years. I really want to know. Because a lot seems to stem on that answer, right? 
You know, if we really knew what truth is, that would guide us in a lot of ways, and we want to be guided, right? And so I don't think it is an unworthy pursuit, and I don't think it's a dishonest one. But I, I want to kind of highlight how this kind of goes down. And there's important truths that can be gleaned from this. And um, this, this is a passage that I think has a lot for us, but in many ways can be extremely humbling. I want to warn you from the outset to keep an open mind and heart because you may not actually like the answer. Isn't that the way the truth is? If you really want to know the truth, you have to ask yourself, would I be okay with the truth if I didn't like the answer? Because if I'm only okay with truth that I like, I'm not really about the truth. I'm only about reinforcing my ego. Does that make sense? I only want to feel good. I don't actually want truth. I just want something to comfort me or to make me happy. right? And that, friends, is not true. So, friends, let's enter into the, the passage together. So this is starting in verse 27 of chapter 11. And they came again to Jerusalem. So remember, Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem was very eventful. Jesus had gone, and he had cleared the temple, right? He had said that you've made this place a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the Gentiles. And he just, you know, like flipping over tables and, and trying to drive out the money changers. So Jesus had an eventful time the last time he was there. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And so, what are they talking about? They're probably talking about the clearing of the temple and all the things that Jesus does. Hey, who do you think you are, man? Coming in here and acting like you own the place. Who gave you that authority? And so Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, as Jesus often does. He answers a question with a question. He says, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now, some of you might be wondering, why doesn't Jesus just straight up answer the question? Why doesn't he just say, I got it from God? Right? So I think what Jesus knew in many ways is that what they were asking was a trap. No matter how Jesus answers this question, they can use it against him. Right? So if Jesus says, oh, the authority came from man or from me, right? they'd be like, well... You're in the temple of God, man. You can't be going around and superseding our authority, right? And they could lock this guy up for being a seditionist, being someone who is against um, Israel, right? And against the state religion of Israel. Now, if he says, I got it from God, right? Because I'm the son of God. Then they can charge him with blasphemy, right? And so, you know, not that Jesus is afraid of this answer because he definitely gives this answer later, but he knows it's not the time. Remember all of the stories that we went through as we've been going through Mark where Jesus says, shh, not yet, not yet. It's not time. Jesus is like, I know if I say, you know, I got it from God, right, that they're going to charge me with blasphemy. I'm not done yet. It's not time for that yet. There's going to be a couple of time for that. He's not afraid of that, but it's just not the right time. Right? So he knows that they're either going to charge him with blasphemy or sedition, one or the other. Right? So Jesus doesn't play that game. Instead, he turns the tables. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now, friends, it's very interesting. As we look into the process 
of these are the most respected leaders of Israel. These are very um, religious men who were the leaders. They were uh, uh, the experts of the law, right? And look at their answer. They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. At any point, do they actually discuss whether or not what they are saying is true? No. It, 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 it doesn't even enter into the equation. What is this all about? It's about power, right? Even their question is authority. How dare you come in here and supersede our authority? Where did you get this authority from? Who do you think you are? They are asking a power question. Friends, Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. Kingdoms are always about power and authority, right? So this is a kingdom question that they are fundamentally asking. Um, And so when they are trying to answer this question, it is based on power. Which answer will gain us the most power? Or which answer... Uh, could possibly cause us to lose power. Don't choose that one. And what they realize is that both answers, if they say it's from God, then, uh, you know, that John's authority was from God, then he will say, why then did you not believe him? And then their power and their authority will be discounted. So they're like, oh, no, 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 don't do that one, right? Whether or not it's true doesn't matter in this moment. What is most important for them is power and authority. All right, we, we don't want to look bad. We already put our stake in the ground that we didn't listen to John, right? Knowing that, no turning back now, all we got to do is just preserve our power, right? And so th- then they were like, but if we discount John, then we fear the wrath of the people. We may lose the people. We don't want to do that. Maybe they actually did think that. Maybe they actually did think, hey, you know what? John's authority was from man. We we didn't listen to him because we didn't think he was from God. That could be an answer. But they don't want to give that because they don't want to make the people angry. They're afraid of the people. And so they go by the old standby. They just say, we don't know. Don't know. And so Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So what Jesus is doing here is he is creating, um, well, I mean, he's kind of showing them a a sort of truth. It's a truth that a lot of us don't like. (laughs) And and the truth is exactly what they say. The truth is that. They don't know. They really don't know. They may act like they know. And based on that apparent knowledge, they use that. They're like, oh, see, we know better. We know that John was not from God, so we don't have to listen to him, right? And what will they be doing with whatever Jesus says? They will be using a position of truth to uh, uh, ostracize Jesus, to discount Jesus in some way. Either you are somebody who is uh, trying to divide us, you're trying to put yourself over the state religion, right? So you are not to be followed, right? You're a seditionist, and we're going to kick you out, right? Um, or you think you're from God and that's blasphemy because we know that you're not from God, right? Either way, they are going to make a play at knowledge. 
We know. We know. Jesus, look at us. We are the religious leaders. Right? We know more scripture than anybody. We are the most respected. Just look at our robes and our beards. Right? We just know this stuff. Okay? So tell us. Why don't you tell us and then we'll judge you based on our knowledge. And so he's like, okay, well, let's just look at another prophet. John. Where did his authority come from? And they can't answer the question. <laughs> right? Even if it is based on truth, they can't stand on it. Because that's not really what this is about. It is about power. It's about winning for them. It is about reinforcing their identity as the religious leaders. Because the truth could be very dangerous. For them to even acknowledge the possibility that they're wrong is very, very threatening. They have a lot to lose. Therefore, they never consider it. They never consider it. And Jesus wants to point this out to them. And so they acknowledge the truth. They say a true thing. They say, we really don't know. He says, so I'm not going to tell you either. Because you're going to try to judge me saying you know. And you don't know where John's authority comes from. You're not going to know where mine comes from either. People who are in power like this, it is a very uncomfortable thing to admit the truth that you just don't know. There are things you don't know. But if you cannot admit that, then you can never actually come to truth, right? So Jesus tells this parable, and it's a very inflammatory parable. And uh, I, I want to actually, I want to read this, but I want to kind of defend the actions of the people in this parable who seem very heinous. Their actions seem undefendable, right? It's about a man who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it, a pit for the wine press and built a tower, and he leased it to tenants and went to another country. So the tenants do not own the vineyard but they have been given authority over it. And the actual owner goes away. And later, when the season came for him to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard, he sent servants to gather his share. That's only right. You know, it's well within the rights of the vineyard owner. And the tenants treat every servant that comes to collect shamefully. They beat them. And in some cases, they kill them. And they send them away. Now, friends... In some of the cases where they're like, you know, sending these people away, can a case be made that they're operating on the basis of truth? Well, they could be, right? I mean, they could be like, okay, how do we know you're really from the owner? Prove it. Prove that you're from the owner, right? You're just coming to collect this, this, this uh, uh, fruit from us. Uh, you're, you're just hungry for some grapes. You just want some wine. Yeah, it's really easy to just stroll in here and be like, oh yeah, the owner sent us. Like, really? Really? How do we know that? Right? And so they're like, get out of here, right? And, and they do that every single time until finally the, 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 the uh, owner of the vineyard keeps stepping it up. And he keeps sending people with more authority until finally he sends his son. He's like, yo, this is my son. Even looks like me. How can they deny that, Right? I mean, it's just going to be so apparent when my son strolls up there, they will have to respect him. And this is when the truth comes out. When the truth comes out is, is that they say, this is the heir, verse 7. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. This is when the truth comes out. It was never about the truth. It was never about whether or not these people actually came from the owner. It was always about preserving their power, right? And the, 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 the Pharisees, when they hear this, 
they're like, oh my gosh, we need to uh, figure out a way to arrest Jesus. Um, but they didn't do it because the people respected Jesus' authority. But they're like, man, th- this is not right what he's saying about us. Friends, um, <clears throat> again, let's go back to the, the, the tenants. Is it wrong for them to be skeptical that some random servant strolls in and says, hey, this is what you owe the master. They're like, well, you're not the master. How do I know you're, you're the master? Their skepticism is not the problem in this passage. What is the problem in this passage? The violence, isn't it? That, that's the problem. It's the violence with which they react to these things. Right? And this is one of the things that you find oftentimes. When you are debating truth or debating whatever, right, and the argument gets really heated and people get offended, right, you take it really personally. You're like, you know what? I'm going to punch you in the face. Why do you want to do that? What is that about? Is that really about the truth? Is there something within you? You're like, "Mm, you're a denier of the truth and that really hurts me because I love truth. Friends, do we really love truth? How many times are we like, oh, I just just don't want to know that? You know, that Twinkie, it tastes so good. Don't tell me what's in it, (laughs) right? Because if I know what's in it, then I'm going to be confronted with the truth of how unhealthy this is. So don't tell me what's in the Twinkie. I don't want to know what's in the Twinkie. I don't really want to know if I'm wrong, right? And and many times we live in ignorance. How many times are you watching? I I don't know how often this happens to you. You see something pop up. You know, on Facebook, maybe somebody posts a story about Syria and the bombings there and the chemical attacks. And there's a part of you that you just very viscerally, you're like, you know what, I don't want to see that. Why? What is that about? I, I, I just don't want to see it. It's so ghastly. I, I, friends, I have the same reaction. But I think we have to do some heart searching. What is that about? I don't want to see it because the truth makes me really uncomfortable. And also, if I'm faced with the truth, then maybe I'm going to need to do something about it. Or maybe I'm going to be, have to face with another truth, which is actually really, really painful. And the truth is that I actually don't care enough to do something about it. Right? And so then we're just like, we're like, ah, I didn't see that. <laughs> just pretend, right? Or you just live in ignorance. You become unconscious, right? We just... Play games on our phones and you know, go on Netflix or whatever. We become unconscious. Let's just pretend like those things aren't happening. Because the truth makes us very, very uncomfortable. But maybe somebody says a truth about you, and it does make you uncomfortable. Maybe they point out a double standard that you have. Maybe they point out sometime when you failed at something, or you were caught in a lie. You ever find yourself getting like really defensive about it, right? Like, like immediately your mind goes to like, hey, who are you to accuse me? And they're like, what does that have to do with what I'm telling you right now? They're like, it has everything to do with what I'm telling. Because if I can discount what you're saying, then maybe somehow in my mind, I don't have to listen to that truth, right? And one of the things about truth is whether or not the messenger is perfect or not, the question for us that hopefully, if, if you really are a seeker of truth, that you would want to answer is, is there truth in it? Don't pay so much attention to how they said it, 
But is it true in some sense? It doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're a horrible, despicable person. But maybe there's something you need to know so you don't live in ignorance anymore. Maybe there's something you need to know so that you can change the truth. But so many people, myself included, get really defensive. And what do we mean by that? Defensive is kind of a funny, uh, it's kind of a funny statement. Because defending sounds good and noble. Like, I'm just defending myself. You were attacking me, right? But defense, as you may find out in many cases, if you go to Texas or different places, defending people or defending people's homes oftentimes looks like shooting somebody, right? That's a defensive measure. You come onto my property, I can shoot you. That's actually the law in a lot of states, right? Somebody, if there's any perceived threat, I have the right to attack you back. That is being defensive. And that's what many of us do. We get violent. Mm, I don't like you trying to take something from me. And what are they trying to take from you? The false truth that you believe about yourself. We all have it. I have it too, friends. But we will defend that identity to the bitter end. It is so precious to us. I heard this story about the, the Central Park Five. I don't know if you guys, any, anyone knows about this. It, it, back in 1989, April of 1989, there was a jogger going through Central Park, and she was jumped, and she was bludgeoned and raped. It was horrible. It was like all over the news. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, was, well, um, Donald Trump, uh, who was a businessman at the time, put out like, his full-page ad because they caught these five people, and there was these five boys that were in the park, and they were all black and Hispanic, um, and... They, they were messing around in the park and they were harassing people, right? And so they looked like likely suspects. And so, uh, I, I mean, you know, this is just an aside, but Donald Trump actually put out a full-page ad demanding the death penalty for these five boys. Uh, but, but that's not the main point. But the main point is that these boys were arrested and there was just a lot of stuff going on. And 13 years later, they were exonerated because the person who actually perpetrated the crime confessed and he knew things about the details of the crime that the police withheld, right? He knew things that no one else knew. These five boys didn't know them, but, but only this guy knew them. And DNA evidence actually produced proof that it was this guy. And they looked extensively. They're like, oh, but could they have been involved? Could these five boys have been involved in some way? And they found no connection. They didn't go to school together. No one had ever seen them together. There was absolutely, absolutely no connection. By every measure we have, these boys were innocent. And still to this day, as of, uh, it's in a book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, which is a fantastic book about how we self-deceive. One of the most difficult books I've ever read. Not because it was hard to understand, but because they pointed out a lot of things that I do to self-deceive. And I was reading it, and I was like, whoa, this is making me really uncomfortable. They put down that book a lot, right? Because the truth was just, it was just too real. It's like, oh my gosh, I do that too. Oh my gosh, I really like to think of myself being good and noble. And so what happened were the original investigators of the Central Park Five case and the, the main prosecutor, the main prosecutor even wrote a book, and was like, I am convinced that the Central Park Five were guilty. I am convinced they're like, but the DNA evidence. This, this person who admitted to the crime and knew things that no one else knew. And they're like, yeah, but do you really know? <laughs> they were convinced. Why? Because 
the truth, facing the truth that, 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 that they like to think of themselves as good people. Hey, I'm a good, honest person. And a good, honest person doesn't falsely accuse and cause the arrest and imprisonment of five boys who were basically racially profiled. A good person doesn't do that. So I refuse to believe the truth that I am capable of doing that. And in fact, I actually did that. And so friends, in many cases, there are people who have a lot to lose by the truth. These tenants were like, hey, as long as the the owner is away, we can do what we want. This is great. So every time someone comes, they come to collect and they come to take some of their power away from them, they refuse it. And maybe they have good reasons for that. Oh, we don't really know that you're from the owner. You have no proof. But it's not really about the truth for them. It is about them losing their power. It is about them surrendering their kingdom and they don't want to surrender the kingdom because they like it. For many of us, we like being right. Being right feels good. And being wrong, even if it's the truth, it never feels good. But maybe it is the truth. There's this story that I heard. Um, there, there's many versions of the story. I'll, I'll tell you two of them. Um, the, the story goes that there's like a Buddhist master, uh, this monk, who like lives in the mountains or something. And some like, like very educated professor comes to visit him, and he wants to learn the truth. And as soon as the professor comes in, the professor is like telling him about like all of his groundbreaking research and all the things that he knows and, and all just like, like all this knowledge, he's just pouring it out. And, and the, 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 the master just kind of smiles at the man, takes a, a cup of tea and just starts pouring the tea. And as this man is talking, the tea begins to overfill the cup. It's just flowing everywhere. And, and it actually starts to spill onto the professor's pants. And then he notices. He's like, oh my gosh, stop pouring. The, the cup's full. Stop. And, and the, the, the master looks at him and smiles. And he says, you are like this cup. You're too full. <laughs> you can't receive anything. I mean, basically he's saying, because you keep talking. <laughs> and you think you know everything. And you have not created any room for new knowledge to come in. There's another version of the story where it's like a really rich, important man or something, and he comes up to the mountain, and without even saying anything, the, the master starts pouring the cup. And he says, you are like the, the cup, you are too full. You need to empty yourself. You need to create space. Friends, um, you know, we talked about when people have these so-called arguments to find truth, and we don't even listen to each other. That's one of the... the, the, the indications that we're not really about finding the truth. We're about reinforcing our own ego. We are about being right. And so what we need to do (laughs) is we need to listen. And we need to listen with humility, with actual space for the possibility that we are wrong. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, who's uh, one of my favorite Christian authors, and uh, he was a professor of philosophy, and he wrote a lot of uh, wonderful books on theology and um, there are times where, like, he'd be in his class, and, and Dallas Willard was just, I mean, he was, like, a, a very, very intelligent dude. Had done a lot of, I mean, you know, not that this is the most important thing, but he was, a, he really thought through a lot of things. And he was in a class once uh, that one of his fellow professors heard about this. That he was in a class where this student, like, like, like this freshman was just, like, blasting him. And he was saying all these things that were, like, just kind of, like, not quite right and true. And, and he's just saying all this stuff. And Dallas Willard 
um, lets him finish, and the guy just goes off. He's like, ah, and another thing, another thing about God, another thing about your Bible, and he's saying all this stuff. And Dallas Willard just smiles, and he's, he's like, hey, you know, I think this is a good time to stop the class. And they stop. And so one of his professor's friends heard about this, and he heard about what the, the, the kid was saying. He's like, Dallas, you could have destroyed this kid. Oh my gosh, you could have demolished his argument in a second. Why didn't you do that? And he's like, you know, I think one of the, I was trying to practice the Christian discipline of being humble. <laughs> I think that if I would have laid into this guy, that it would have been out of anger. And so for me, this was a good opportunity just to listen. And Dallas Willard, one of the things that he would do is when people were arguing with him, or if it got argumentative, um, he would often do this. He would put his hands behind his back. And, and he said that he did that as a Christian discipline because this is a very vulnerable pose. It's a, it's a more humble pose. What do a lot of us do just viscerally? When you're arguing with someone, what do we do? We go like this. Right? What is this? This is just a physical way of creating a barrier between me and the other person. Right? We just naturally do it. We're like, okay, go on. <laughs> but we're not really listening. Right? And, and so I know that's not everything. But for him, he was like, just physically, I want to kind of emote this openness that I am listening. And of course, <laughs> that's the spiritual discipline that I need to cultivate. Right? I need to create the space for someone to speak, for us to hear. Now, one of the greatest lies that we tell ourselves in all of this it's like, oh, no, 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 but, but you know, Pastor Steve, I am really humble. I, I am interested in the truth, but this is the thing. I'm never wrong. So if I'm never wrong, then it's okay for me to argue my case vehemently. And this is where the great Pharisees and the teachers of the law come in. With all of their knowledge, with all of the things that they know, there is still, in the mystery of God, things that they do not know. Be careful, friends. Be wary. Anytime you hear anyone say, I know exactly what God is about. I know exactly how to read all this scripture. Friends, there's so much in it that's a mystery. There's so much in it that we are not meant to fully understand. Yes, it points to truth. And don't get me wrong. Those truths can be very valuable. But for us to say definitively, oh, I, don't worry, I know, I know. So this argument, I mean, you're just going to have to admit at some point that you're wrong because I, I, just, I just know, I'm just right, I'm always right. Friends, we don't even know the full truth about ourselves. You will never know the full truth about God. And this is one of the things that leads to wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of God? The respect, the awe of God. God, you are so big. You are so great. You are so awesome that no amount of words, no amount of cogitation, no amount of study could ever fully encapsulate you. If I even try, I need to humbly say, hey, this is just a sketch. Okay, this is just a metaphor. When you're not going to fully get it, you're not going to fully get the mystery. There's so many things in God, right? The, the, the Trinity, like we hear these things and we're like, what does that mean? Three and one and one and three? There's, there's three persons but one God? Like, ah, oh, my brain hurts. As it should, friends, as it should. You will never fully understand. It doesn't mean you can't know things about God. I know sometimes we're like, but Pastor Steve, then how can we know anything? Why even try? Why even try? It's like, friends, 
what, then why even try to live life if you can't fully live life? Why you try to learn anything if you can't learn everything? It's a false argument, right? You're never going to be perfect in life. You're never going to be perfect in knowledge. You're never going to be perfect in faith. The sooner you realize that, the more you are going to learn a very fundamental truth about you and God. And it is this. Only God is perfect. And you, I, (laughs) you are not God. Neither am I. We're not. We need to create that space. We need to be humble. And one of the best ways for us to do that is to create space in silence, to create space in our lives. You know, the the story with the overflowing teacup, that works in so many different capacities. I remember once, just as an aside, um, that that when I went to see um, a counselor a few years back, and I was uh, going through a lot of anxiety, and I was getting to the point where um, basically something really dumb happened. I was looking for this piece of paper. It was like a bill or something that I had to send in. And I was trying to look for it. And then it started to get later. And I was supposed to buy pizzas for a youth group event. And um, I just got obsessed with finding this paper. And my room was messy. And then I'm like starting to like feel like, oh my gosh, if I wasn't such a slob, then I would have been able to find this piece of paper. And so I'm just so disorganized in life. And then, oh my gosh, now I'm late for this youth group event. And then people are going to show up. It was at my house. And they're going to show up at my house. And they're going to be like, where's Pastor Steve? Oh my gosh, he's such a horrible pastor. He's so irresponsible. And this chain of events, man, this chain of thoughts, it ended up with me catatonic on the ground. I like blacked out for a second. And, and I went to see a counselor after that. Because I was like, I, I went to this guy. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he was like, okay, well, just tell me what's going on. And I was telling him all the stuff that was going on in life. I told him all of the stresses in my personal life, in my, my, my mental life, in my spiritual life. I was juggling two churches and all this stuff and all the expectations I was putting on myself. And, and he was like, Steve, as you were talking, I just got this mental image of this balloon. And every time that, that you said something about your life, it was just like the balloon just started to fill up. Right? Like, oh, you got this things going on. You know? And then there, there's, there's, you know, something happens in your family. And, and then you got two churches. And then, that was a big one, right? And it just kept getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And you not being able to find a little slip of paper, it was like the balloon suddenly burst. There was no room. Friends, this applies to knowledge. It applies to your mental, spiritual capacity. When we become so full like that overflowing teacup, we have not created the room for God to truly meet us. God is always there. God is always wanting to meet us. But when we, like the the tenants in the story, say, you know what? I don't know if you're God or not, but I'm not willing to give up my power. I'm not willing to give up my control. I'm not willing to give up being right then there is no room for the possibility of God. Could that person be a charlatan? Sure. But could they also be God? And can we trust that if there really is a God, that he would want to be known, that you would find a way to actually know him? I think we can, friends. But many of us in life, in your emotional, spiritual, and yes, your mental capacity as well, we have not created that room for God. This is the fundamental humility to say, I don't know it all. I don't know a lot. 
And so much of it does not depend upon me. I put it all on my shoulders. I put it all on my intellectual capacity. But even if I don't know, you are still God. And I can know you in some sense if I would just but create that room. So can I ask the praise team to come up? And I just want to give us an opportunity to create that room. Friends, this is why we talk so much about silence. Right? I, I was sharing from my life a couple weeks ago on Easter about how three Easter's ago, I decided to spend 30 minutes of silence with God every day. And, and I, I, I got some feedback, and it was actually really good feedback. Somebody was telling me, um, they're like, Pastor Steve, I actually tried that in my life, and it was really, really hard. And what I found was more helpful for me was 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Start with 10 minutes, right? And I was just sharing what I did in my life. But friends, you don't have to do what I did. It's not about being legalistic. It's not about how much time you're spending per se. But if we're not creating any room for God to come in, then I think we're going to have a lot of trouble realizing and sensing and knowing the reality of God that's so big. Friends, when you do that, when you create room for God, don't try to um, control that time. Like, oh, I know exactly what this is going to be. You know, Don't try to judge it. Like, oh, is this a good quiet time? Is this a bad quiet time? Am I learning a lot? Did God tell me something? Friends, you're still trying to control. You're still trying to be the king. You're still trying to be God. You're still trying to be the one who's managing your own kingdom. To say, God, your will be done. Your kingdom comes, says, I don't get to dictate how this goes. And it may be really messy. It may be that you spend 10 minutes and not a whole lot happens. But you just start to detox from the ways that we become so full on our knowledge, our identity. The things that we think are indispensable, our anxiety, our stresses. Friends, we need that every single day. So let's just take a moment. Just be still. Take some deep breaths. Maybe you can just say a short prayer like, Holy Spirit, come. Or Jesus, I need you. Friends, just in that moment, as you say those words, just start to empty yourself of your position. Who am I before God but a broken sinner? And yet, somehow, the Spirit of God can testify to my spirit. Yes, you are a sinner, but you are also son of the Most High God. There is a spark of divinity in you. There is great worth in you, and yet all our works that we try to justify ourselves with are worthless. What a great mystery that is. What a wonderful paradox. You are nothing, and yet in Christ, somehow you can have if you would but empty yourself of your position your status when you think you know when you think you can control friends maybe some of you you've been trying to manage your spiritual life you're trying so hard to be good and when you're not good man you beat yourself up so much for it friends just empty yourself right now God already knew how you were going to fall short
can confess that. God, I can't stop thinking. I want to give that to you. I want to just take a deep breath. And I just want to rest. Oh my gosh, like it may not be like lifting heavy weights, but it feels like it. That weight on my soul and in my mind, I'm so tired. I just want to shut off those thoughts. That's why so many people drink and do all different kinds of things to numb. Because our minds are so oppressive. Just rest. Just let go. Get out of your own way, friends. Just let go. Lose yourself. Just let go. trying to manage and control the outcomes of our lives. Trying to be the kings and gods of our own destiny. Lord, here we are and we're tired. God, we are not fulfilled. We have not gotten what this world has promised to us. So God, may we surrender a little bit of that control. May we surrender and create space for you to come in and say, God, there's so much we don't know. Yes, Lord, I don't understand not feel like doing it all the time, but I want to know the truth of who you are, the wonderful truth that you are so much bigger, and even that truth is something that I can't fully wrap my mind around, to simply know that I do not know, to simply know that you're huge and unknowable, and yet good and loving, and so wonderful for us to even have the 